Welcome, and let's first talk compliance. I'm Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager at First Healthcare Compliance. Thanks for tuning in. You can follow First Healthcare Compliance on Twitter at FirstHCC or on Facebook and Instagram at First Healthcare Compliance or hashtag FirstTalkCompliance. On today's episode, we are speaking with Charlie Vincent, Executive Director of Spur Impact, a Delaware nonprofit whose mission is to connect and inspire young professionals to make an impact in their career and community about the topic of medicine, mindfulness, and millennials, health and wellness for the next generation. We are also pleased to be joined by Kate Smith, Program Manager at Delaware Academy of Medicine, and Jess Ruggieri, a health coach at the University of Delaware. As healthcare costs skyrocket, it is increasingly important for millennials to be proactive about their health and well-being and to find meaningful ways to integrate healthy habits and preventative measures into their routine as young adults. The Millennial Summit is one of the largest young professionals conferences in the nation and features many speakers and breakout sessions that highlight these issues and incorporate physical activity into the day of the conference itself. Today, we will discuss preventative health care and healthy habits, retention and recruitment of millennials, and ideas and incentives for wellness in the workplace. So hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today on First Talk Compliance. Hi. Hey, Catherine. Hi. 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 Hello. So we're speaking about millennials in the workplace. Let's talk about why it's important for the health of a company to include millennials and to have this generational diversity in the workforce. So I think one of the reasons why it's important for a company to include millennials and particularly look toward uh, look at diversity issues in the workforce is is right now we're sort of at a at a point where there's a there's sort of two different, at least two different generations working in a given, in most given organizations. So you have the baby boomer class, sort of the Gen X class, and then millennials, and then right behind them are the Gen Z. So there, there's at least probably two different cohorts in most workplaces. A lot of them have been working there a long time. Some are just out of college. And so you have a lot of younger folks coming in and, and just have a really different understanding and perspective on uh, sort of work-life balance, coming in and out of college, understanding the political dynamics of a workplace, and then you have just a different perspective from people who've been there for a long time. And so, coupled with that, you have new products and technology that that uh, different generations have seen longer than others, and and you have just sort of a real mosaic of ideas and and, and people in the workplace. And so, it's important from a from an administration and managerial perspective to really sort of figure out ways to bridge that gap, make sure that there's a harmonious function between people who are working on the same team, because in the end you're, you're working toward your company's mission or, or toward some management goal. And, and the more in sync everybody can get and, and admire and value other people's opinions, the better. Absolutely. Are millennials changing the focus of the workplace in regards to mental health and vacation time, family time, things such as this? Catherine, I think millennials are changing the focus. Can I pinpoint exactly why or what stemmed it or when did it start? But I think, you know, how everything in our culture and our world is kind of that pendulum swing. 
you know, we'll go way far one way and then, you know, people get tired of it. And so we swing back the other way. So I, I feel like we're, you know, we've worked hard for so long and people are, are starting to claim back their identity. In fact, I had lunch with somebody today who is leaving a department at University of Delaware and moving to another one. And she almost had tears in her eyes and she was saying, I finally feel like I can be me. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and in that conversation, it spoke volumes to me about people should be able to show up at work and feel fully themselves. And so when you talk about family life, when you talk about mental health, even pinpointing all these specific things, when I, when I, when I hear those words, I just think holistic. You know, I think of, and we'll probably get into this later on, I think about somebody being able to be fully them and being able to um, bring up, you know, some of their fears or some of their issues and that it doesn't um, play against them, but that the workplace will recognize, you know, the value of the person. The person comes with some, you know, difficulties. And, but, but, um, but that's, I think, the way that our workplace is headed. Um, that people have to realize, like leaders and owners of companies have to realize that if they want to be successful, um, they have to make sure that they're taking care of employees. So I, I think it's just, you know, even bringing up the word millennial, I think it's just the timing of that pendulum swing um, that the millennials are at the forefront of bringing this to our attention. I, I think also the, to Jess's point, in in terms of pay, in terms of sort of the professional work-life balance, I think the millennial generation has a very different perspective on that. So competitive pay is important. The soft demands are different in this generation than in some others. So like in terms of, you know, work, being able to work remotely, the ideas of transparency are, are mm-hmm. collaborative efforts between uh, to, in project development and management. I just think the the older generation just has a different perspective, and, and younger generation, millennials included, are they're just less afraid to speak up about what they want, and I think that's mm-hmm. you know kind of shakes things up, and that's and that in terms of how it's changing the focus is sort of driving this conversation about vacation time. Uh, maternity, paternity leave, wellness initiatives in the workplace, and and, and other mm. non-monetary benefits. Do you think that millennials sometimes trade these kind of things for from monetary benefits for these non-monetary type of benefits? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that um, a lot of times for millennials, it's not so much what can I do for the company to help the company get better? Now it's, as Jeff said, this pendulum swing towards, well, what can the company do for me so that I can be a better worker? So, mm-hmm. you know, if for these people, it's, you know, I need more vacation days or I need the ability to work from home or, you know, I need a mental health day. Then I think because millennials are less afraid of speaking up and it's less of a, oh, well, your boss says to do it, so you do it. It's it's less of that now. It's now, well, I'll get it done, but I'm going to be doing it my way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so actually that leads into another question that I had. So I think I would define that as work-life balance. How do millennials, I mean, how do millennials define that and, and how do they then achieve that? 
Well, I, I mean, this is Kate. I, I think it's defined differently for everybody, but I mm-hmm. think that, and and you can't say that one millennial is going to do it this way and so is everybody else. Everybody's right, different right. Way of But as a group, they're more likely to ask for what they want or what they need. So somebody's saying, I need to work from home today because I can't stand to be in the office right now. People are more likely to let them because they know now that, you know, yeah, well, getting this person away from people or whatever is going to, Mm -hmm. in the long run, lead to a more productive workforce. So people are more likely to do that. And I honestly, mm-hmm. I think it's just because they're not afraid to say, no, I'm not doing it your way. I'll do it my way and get it done. But it's going to be my way. I just feel like there's more more ways now. Like Charlie was saying, you know, generations before didn't really have choices. You know, there was a building and you and you have to drive to the building and you have to be there from nine to five or whatever. You know, it was very structured. And when you left that building, you left work. You know, you talk about work-life balance back then in the nine to five times, there wasn't really choices. And now we have the smartphones, we have our Apple watches, we have, you know, constant connection and we'll either burn out if we don't know how to ask for some type of work-life balance. Sorry for people that are in leadership uh, (laughs) positions, not really. I'm just, you know, tongue in cheek, but they have to work a lot harder to communicate well with their workers and set expectations. So they have to open up a conversation as opposed to um, demand things from people. So I do, I think it's a lot harder because now it's a conversation around what is the expectations. And so for me, I think, you know, companies that do it really well are here are the job roles and here are deadlines. How do you best work? How can we keep you at your best self so that you can stay here long term so that you can be you know, well for yourself, for your family, for us. And so, like Kate said, it could look different for a lot of different people. So depending on the type of work environment, you know, different, you know, soft offerings will probably look different. But I think I just wanted to make that point. Yeah, agreed. And another thing that companies are are finding work, at least in my company, is the idea of flexible scheduling. So there are a lot of people who, for whatever reason, work really well in the morning. And there are a lot of people who, for whatever reason, work really well at night. And so the, the ability to say, okay, well, I'm going to set my hours at, you know, seven in the morning until three in the afternoon. And hey, then I'll be there to pick up my kids from the bus stop or take them to soccer or what have you. The ability to not be working that strict nine to five schedule is something that a lot of people are finding is something that they really want and are looking for in companies. So a lot of our listeners are in the healthcare field. Do you know how that would translate into some more traditional type of of areas? A a lot of the healthcare workers that I work with, because I work in public health, Mm -hmm. the hospital shifts are usually 12 hours long and they usually or eight hours long and they're from like seven to three or seven to seven. And so people are able to do those types of shift works and and then hospitalists for example will be able to work two months straight doing 12-hour shift 12-hour shift and then they get three weeks off to go and you know i know a lot mm-hmm. of people globe trotting and and that is worth it to them so sure. i mean it as it, as i said it depends on the person and what's going to work for them but there there are options mm-hmm. I, I think that translates over to the health healthcare uh field as well it just depends on the practice and and it comes back to that generational divide. You've got a, a 
you know, at least one generation of workforce is really used to this nine to five schedule. And then, mm-hmm. and then the ones coming up and in, in behind them are, are sort of much more used to, you know, kind of the college schedule and have developed, you know, what work habits work for them. And they're just trying to find, mm-hmm. you know, the right balance in, in wherever they wind up working. For me, work-life balance is, I mean, I, I come from the legal, ba- my background, so, it, you know, work-life balance is really kind of a, to, not a mirage, but it's just something that most, most people struggle with. But mm-hmm. I was just going to ask can, you about attorneys, because we have a number of attorneys who listen as well, who are, you know, coming up, because I know we have a number of attorneys who also listen in. And So yeah. I sort of came around to the, to the idea of, of using community service as a way of sort of striking that balance. There's a lot of nonprofits, there's a lot of community groups, there's a lot of government com- or you know state commissions. There's a lot of ways that you can give back. There's, mm-hmm. there's no shortage of volunteer opportunities. You just got to go out and find them. So I, I think where you can find that balance of you know sort of the grind of work is being able to take your free time, sort of find a way to give back particularly in your community. And then the, the upside of that is you get to enjoy what you're doing in terms of that. And, and you know, in that time, you get to meet colleagues, get to work with other people you don't typically work with and, and really develop relationships outside of the workforce. And I think it just adds to that work-life balance. One thing that just keeps popping into my head is th- three words, in fact, but purpose, resilience, and self-awareness. And so, um, you know, Charlie keeps speaking about the work-life balance and, and, you know, we keep saying like, oh, it looks different for everybody, which is totally the case. And so we, we know that there's no like one size fits all type of wellness program that's going to be preventative care for everyone. And, and I'm not saying that like companies should be in charge of this, but I think they need to be aware that when you can bring out somebody's personal purpose, right? I can hear it when Charlie speaks what he's tied to very, like, I know what's important to Charlie. And he spends his time in those specific areas because of what's important to him. So I think sometimes when people are lost or confused, or they don't really know, gosh, how much time, like, I'm a new attorney at this company, and everybody's working like 16, 17 hours. Is that the norm? Like, I just feel like people need to be able to talk about like, what is their purpose? And then how can they create a work life balance that they're doing their best work while they're working, but then they're also like their best selves when they're at home. Um, And so it it really is this education around self-awareness. And when you feel certain ways, how is it best that you're going to take care of your own self? So again, you can't always rely on other people to do it for you. That to me is what's exciting is that educational piece of, you know, how, how can we help people? Absolutely. So I have a question about a few other things in, in the workplace first, but how is movement and activity important? I mean, and truthfully, you know, movement, um, my grandfather lived to be 105. And that man, um, I know. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. But, and you know, besides love, like he was married for 70, you know, wonderful years. He always had a job that had him mobile. And we see a lot of health issues nowadays because people are sitting and not moving. And sometimes, I mean, we all know it. If I say this, like you can be sitting and all of a sudden it's 12 o'clock and you're like staring at the computer, you know, you haven't moved, your brain is fried. And so I think just moving, there's so many components to movement in the workplace. It's not just the physical, like, you know, it's not just the physical 
benefits that you get from it, right? Where your muscles are limber, um, you're, you know, you're burning calories, all of those things, but you get a mental break, right? Like when you move, you're stepping away. Um, sometimes you get more creative. I don't know about you guys, but I know that when I take a walk around or even a walk to the bathroom, I can, I like my mind just is like, oh, I know how I'm going to solve that problem. Um, it also helps socially because when you step away from your computer and you're taking a walk, you're going to actually start to like face-to-face connect with other folks. And I just feel like our society is, is all about like, don't bother me. I'm busy. I'm in my cubicle. And I, and I do like to see the shift of, you know, the open work plans, the open spaces, because it, you know, frees people up to move around instead of being like jammed into their cubicle. And God forbid, if I leave my cubicle, I'm not working anymore. You know, the walking meetings are a great way to get movement into the workforce. I just moved into an office here at University of Delaware, and I did not have a standing desk, and I was I was freaking out. So I do have a standing desk now, oh, and just go, going from, mm. aren't they? Yeah, amazing, amazing. So there's so many uh, health benefits to movement, and it doesn't have to be vigorous. It doesn't have to be breaking a sweat. You know, physical activity, 150 minutes a week is important, but I think people just need to realize that moving, stretching, right, is all good. Sitting is the new smoking, right? Yep. Oh, it totally is. <laughs> right. I'm always trying to post little things on social media on first healthcare compliance about wellness that you can have or exercises that you can do at your desk, things like that to get some exercise in during the day for, for people who feel like they're stuck at their desk or can't get away. But, you know, it has to come from the culture because, it, you know, if your culture of your workplace doesn't give you the freedom to move around, you probably, even if you want to, you probably won't. What about mentally? Why is it important in working environment to include mental health care? Why don't I take that one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's really important to include mental health care. And, and previously, it, you know, in the, the older generations, mental health wasn't necessarily seen as something that required work to do anything about it. It was you come in, you do your job from nine to five, and then you go home and you don't bring your home life into work and you don't bring your work life back to home. Um, But now, perhaps because of millennials, perhaps because of science, we don't know, taking a day off to, you know, quote, work on your mental health is not seen as something bad. It's being more commonplace. We also are far more aware now of people who are not necessarily neurotypical, who maybe they can't be sitting at a desk, maybe they need to sit on the floor, or maybe they need to walk and talk. From a healthcare perspective, we're seeing a lot of physician burnout because back in the day, uh, when you were a resident or an intern, you were working 80 hours a week. And we've since you know, passed laws saying that's not okay. We recognize that you know, that leads to tired doctors and we don't want tired doctors operating on us. Mm. We're finding that in high stress environments, you need to have some kind of mental health care. Christiana Hospital has puppies every, every like once a month. Mm. There's puppies in a room and people can come in and cuddle mm. with them. And we're actually finding there are a lot of studies being done right now that are showing, including some kind of a provision for mental health, is leading to better results in the workplace. So we're seeing employees with depression, um, if they're working at organizations without any kind of mental health provision, they miss five days more a year than those working at a, a place that does have a mental health provision. 
we're seeing that mental, mental and physical health are linked. We're seeing links between in cancer and coronary heart disease and asthma and obesity and absenteeism because of mental health issues is costing approximately $51 billion in Canada. The WHO, the World Health Organization, is saying that any kind of negative high-stress working environment can lead to physical and mental health problems, and it costs us money and lost productivity. But also the flip side of that is for every dollar we put into mental health treatment, we get a return of $4 in improved health and productivity. So because we're now aware of, of mental health and the, the role it plays in our jobs, in our lives, in our home life, in our work life, it's, we're finding that it's more and more important that we have to include something about mental health care for our employees so that we get those dollars back, so that we don't have the absenteeism. So, you know, as I said in the beginning, people are calling out saying, I need a day to work on my mental health, and employers are saying, okay, I will give you that day if it means that you're good for the next month. You know, they're seeing the, the benefit of letting people deal with mental health issues then rather than like shoving them under the rug. Right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to First Talk Compliance, and my guests today are speaking about medicine, mindfulness, and millennials, health and wellness for the next generation. So can you tell me a brief overview of the Millennial Summit? Sure, I can I can take that one. So the <laughs> so the, the Millennial Summit or the Mill Summit Conference, this will be the third year coming up in August. Uh, we started it three years ago with the idea of Coming up with a way to bring a lot of different groups that are focused on young professional leadership and development in different ways together around a sort of a common purpose, and that sort of has evolved into really the mission of, of Spur Impact, and that's to, to sort of inspire and inspire those who attend to to get involved and, and make more of an impact in their career and in their community. And so, what we've done at the Millennial Summit is we we bring together. A lot of different keynotes and speakers uh, around different topics that are interesting, you know, across sectors. So we have a lot of topics focused on leadership and professional development, wellness, entrepreneurship, uh, finance, uh, nonprofit, community service, public service. And the idea is if we can bring together young professionals who are interested in getting involved, really the type A's that are trying to, to do something and sort of get them connected to the groups that are already doing it so they don't have to reinvent the wheel. It sort of advances those missions, as, you know, sort of really starts to move the needle. And we have seen over the last two years really different groups sort of using it as a, as a way to onboard new members. You've had uh, companies come in and talk about programs they're doing. Uh, we talked about cross-generational you know, bridging the cross-generational or bridging the generational divide in the workplace. We had a panel last year that focus on that exact topic, and and M and T Bank uh, has a formally implemented program that that sort of pairs a senior member of their uh, management with somebody very junior, where the where the junior person is the mentor and the senior person is the mentee, and it's a way to really force the the you know the more seasoned professionals to really look at something you know what what maybe pouring to them or maybe you know just new in a, in a different way and sort of one of the groups in the audience who their company he said oh this is a pretty good idea and he ran it up to flagpole and now that camores has implemented that same program and, and that was really the idea generated at the millennial summit so so we've seen a lot of those types of outcomes and and 
and the event's grown. Each year it's doubled. This year we're hoping to have, you know, we're expecting really to have more than a thousand people here, which really would make it, you know, in the top two in the country in terms of size. So it's, it's really, it's really a fun event. That's that at least our, our planning committee is really, you know, trying to <laughs> use it to really move the proverbial needle here in Delaware and, and elsewhere. How is the Millennial Summit working to increase the health of its participants? So one of the ways we wanted to make sure that we um, looked at the health of our participants is that the planning committee has a wellness committee as part of it. Um, I'm the chairwoman of that committee, which is why I'm talking to you now. Um, but this year we're doing all kinds of awesome things for the, the health and wellness of our, our participants, of our speakers, of our committees. Um, we're doing something called wellness walks where uh, twice on the Tuesday that we have the Millennial Summit, our audience, our participants get a chance to walk up and down the hallways, having a little walking meeting with different experts in the field of wellness. So we have um, some experts in physical activity. We have some expert in uh, diet. We have experts in mental health um, and they get to just ask their questions and you know, okay, I don't wanna make an appointment to talk to my doctor about this one thing, but I just have a question that's gonna take 30 seconds. So we're going to give them the chance to ask those questions and, and, and take a walk. We're gonna have lots of healthy uh, food options and mul multiple different ones, so gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian. Um, and another fun thing that we're doing that um, the committee is working with Jess on is we're doing something called brain breaks with the fun department. So last year we'd have breakout sessions, we'd have a 15 minute break and we'd, you know, everybody would go to the bathroom, check their email, and then they'd go to their next session where they would sit. And then they would have 15 minutes to go to the bathroom, check their email, and then they'd go to the next session where they would sit. This year we're stretching the breaks to 20 minutes. And in each break, we're gonna have some fun activity happening in the lobby that everybody has a chance to do. So it's gonna be a great big icebreaker. Everybody's gonna be in it. It's like building a balloon wall so that you can get up and get active and get moving. And we're going to, um, we're making the Millennial Summit this year about wellness, overall wellness, and how that applies to you. So I'm not just talking about how wellness is the absence of illness. I'm talking about, you know, your overall health has to do with, yes, your physical fitness and your diet, but it also has to do with your financial status, your mental status, your social status. You know, do you have, um, people around you who can build you up or are there for you if you need them? What's your emotional status? So we're working all of that into the summit kind of in the background so that um, the health of our participants and our audience members and our speakers is, is really at the forefront. Wonderful. Wonderful. It sounds like it's going to be so fun. Um, what are the dates for the Mill Summit again? It's on, it's in the beginning of August. It's, uh, Tuesday, August 6th, and Wednesday, August 7th. So the Leadership Day is Tuesday the 6th. The Entrepreneurship Day is Wednesday the 7th. Yeah, the website's millsummit.com, and all, you can follow us on social media at millsummit on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for joining me. Do you have any other thoughts you wanted to leave our listeners with today? You should come. come yeah, you should come. Right? Great. Great. Sounds wonderful. So thank you all and thanks to our audience for tuning in to First Talk Compliance. You can learn more about the show on our programs page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at 
firsthcc or hashtag firsttalkcompliant. You can also email me at katherineshort at firsthcc.com. I'm Catherine Short of First Healthcare Compliance. Remember, compliance is the key to achieving peace of mind.